thank you for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, Brian. No problem at all. Let me start, Brian. You were born in Stockton on Tees in England, and I'm interested to know how did you get into football and when and where did you start playing? Um, well, I had three older brothers who were really interested in football. And it first started off that I'd just go to the park with them and play and have fun. And then when I got about 10, 11, I played for a junior team called Harper and Juniors. Uh, just a local team and played with them until I was about 16. And then things got a bit more serious. I had a few trials as a 16, 17-year-old. I went to Sheffield United, Norwich and Grimsby. It didn't quite work out at Norwich and Sheffield United. And then I got offered a short-term contract at Grimsby, who were in the championship at the time, to be in their like, uh, reserves and youth set-up. But I, I didn't take it because I'd started an apprenticeship. And um, then I just went and played non-league football for a couple of years and then managed to, to get signed by Carlisle when I was 19. So came in the back door, really. But looking back, it... I appreciate the way that I've done it because I think it gives you a good grounding to actually go and work and live a normal life type thing. It makes you appreciate football when you when you get into it a bit more, I think. Definitely, and I think I'm interested to know, you mentioned there obviously your apprenticeship and your decision to obviously turn down Grimsby at the time. When was the first time you really felt you had a real chance of becoming a professional? Well, I always dreamed of it as a kid. It was what I wanted to do most. But when I played for like Harper and all the best players got signed and took by Middlesbrough and Newcastle and things like that, and then I was, I thought I was doing well, but I was the one left. And then I just kept playing and kept working. And then eventually it came to me. I think I always believed inside I could do it, but it took a, it took me a long time to actually even get into a professional club. A lot of the lads were getting took into academies when they were like 12, 13. But my first taste of it was about 16. And like I say, I'd, I'd already started the apprenticeship. And um, I was well into it at that point. And, and when Grimsby offered me the contract, I was like, it was only for like a six-month contract. And I thought, is it worth risking an education that can tell me in six months that... Uh, that's it type thing. So I just focused on the, the apprenticeship in Pinefoot and what I was doing. And then I just kept playing non-league. And then eventually I got offered a three-and-a-half-year professional contract off Carlisle when I was 19. So obviously with a bit more security with that, and I was delighted to, to sign. When you signed for Carlisle, you mentioned there you were delighted. And when you went into the club, was it a case of you were going to be involved in the first team set-up straight away, or did you have to bide your time? It's quite interesting because when I signed for Carlisle, a couple of weeks after, they put a transfer embargo on the club. So I couldn't actually play for six months. So I, w- I was in training with the first team and everything like that, but I couldn't play for the first team for six months. I was just playing reserve games and things like that, but it was probably the biggest blessing in disguise because it took me that six months to actually adapt to the tempo and the pace of the game in the professional level. So I, at the time, I was really disappointed, but it was a blessing in disguise, like I say, because after that six months, then the season finished and I went back for pre, the following season, pre-season, and then 
I felt like I'd adapted to the level. And then I made my debut in the first first game of the season against Hartlepool and managed to score. So I think if I'd have been able to play straight away, I might have struggled to to actually get in the team because I, I, looking back, I wasn't ready for for the step up. But like I say, that that six month period allowed me to get used to the pace of it and even the fitness levels and everything else. You mentioned there your debut against Hartlepool and being a striker, going into that game, were you thinking, make a good account of myself or was it always in your mind a determination to score and make an immediate impact? Well, like I say, it was a, it was a massive step up for me and first game of the season, I think there was about 13,000 at the game because a new management team had come in, a, a new chairman, John Courtney, had took the club over and um, Carlisle's quite a big club big uh, support base when they're, when they're doing well or when something new happens. So I think there was about 13,000 there. And um, I got on for about 30 minutes. And to be honest, everything just came off. My touch was good. And I, I, I managed to, I got put clean for one goal and I managed to slot it in. So real fond memories of that. Like I say, my first, first ever game and to, to manage to, to score was a real special moment. We lost the game, what was disappointing. And I think Hartlepool won the league that season. They had a really strong team, but on a personal note, it was nice to, to get my first professional goal. How would you sum up that first season of breaking into the team and being a first-team regular? I had a great season, really good season. I managed to, I think I scored about 14 goals. I got two hat-ricks in the league, which were really special. I managed to score a hat-rick against Boston and a hat-trick against Shrewsbury in a really important game, end-season game, which both teams were on the verge of relegation, so we managed to win that. And, um, yeah, looking back on it, I thought, I, I thought I'd done well, considering where I'd come from. And um, I think I started maybe about 15 games that season and come on in about another 10. So I was quite satisfied with the return goals prize and like it was probably the first time I'd been really coached in my career I'd just played with a freedom because I'd like I say I'd played local junior football and had a couple of trials but I'd never been in the academy system where the the coaching and drill drilling all the fundamentals so I just played with a spirit and worked hard and a freedom and like I say I managed to do quite well I think the first season the first season, as you say, went well. The second season, maybe a wee bit more frustrating under Paul Simpson. How was that? Yeah, well, what happened, we um, we survived relegation late on in the, that season and then the following season started and I think we lost the first five games in a row and then the manager at that time, Roddy Collins, got sacked and Paul Simpson come in and then um, I don't think I was his cup of tea, to be honest, it, he had other forwards what he preferred and then I found myself on the bench and not in the squad and then, then I suffered a few uh, injuries as well, knee problems so it was a frustrating time but I must say that Paul was a great guy you know, a really good guy he had his, he had his opinion on the game and what he wanted and he was really successful at the club and um, he's gone on to have a fantastic uh, career regarding England and other clubs where he's been so there was no hard feelings you know that that happens sometimes in football managers have a preference and 
I accepted that. And then I think about halfway through that season, I, I, I think Gretna bought me then yeah. and I, I moved on to Gretna. In terms of Gretna, as you say, in the January of um, 2004, Gretna came in for you, they are willing to pay a fee. Were you attracted to yeah. Gretna straight away or because they were in the lower leagues in Scotland, did you really have to think about it? No, well, what what had happened? Gretna signed uh, quite a few players from Carlisle at that time. You know, they'd signed Mark Birch. They'd, uh, they had Richard Prokas, uh, who was in Carlisle. Lee Madison from Carlisle went to Gretna. So a lot of players went up there. You know, the club uh, the club had, had money and wanted to build a really good team. And um, I met the chairman at the time, Brooks Mileson, fantastic guy, um, unbelievable human being. And um, he, he told me what his ambitions were for the club. He said, we've got to start in Division 3, but we're going to work up the leagues. And, um, I mean, the team we had there when we were playing in the 3rd and 2nd Division, I think it would have competed in the SPL, to be honest with you. I mean, some of the players that we had there, it was a really strong squad. And, um, again, it was like a three-and-a-half-year contract, good security. I understood the implications of... Like, we're working, doing my pipe fitting to get offered a three and a half year employment meant a lot to me at the time. And, like I say, came to terms with them and signed it. And, yeah, it was a um, good experience. You mentioned, obviously, the late, the late Brooks Mileson there. Have you got any good stories in yeah. him that really just showcase his character? Um, yeah, I mean, he was he's just an unbelievable guy. I think he, he grew up in one of the poorest parts of Sunderland. Um, and then obviously self-made millionaire, multi-millionaire. And um, he, ju- he just, he was like a supporter. I mean, when we travelled to games, he, he'd be behind the goal where uh, the lads in the stand, the uh, fans of Gretna, he'd be stood there smoking his cigarette, involved in all the songs and there. Uh, one thing was, um, I think it was when we were in Division 2, um, he'd come in one day and he'd watch James Bond as James Bond. I don't know which, uh, I don't know which, what the name of the film is, but it's one where there's a scene where it's an Aston Martin and a Jaguar are on like a frozen lake right. shooting at each other. And um, he came in one day and he just said to the lads, listen, he said, have, have any of you seen that new James Bond? And we were like, oh, some had, some hadn't. And he said, them, they're nice, them two cars. I like them two cars. So anyway, we never thought anything of it. And then about a week later, both cars are in the car park. Aston Martin, I think it was DB9 and a Jaguar. Can't remember the model of that. But anyway, he said to all the lads, listen, if you get man of the match, you can have the Jaguar for a week. Oh, that's brilliant. And if you, and if you score a hat-trick, you can have the Aston Martin for a week. So anyway, at this point, we had the big Kenny Duga, fantastic guy who was scoring, I think he scored 50-odd goals that season. God knows how many athletes he got. But he literally had the car for a week, every two, three weeks, you know, because we, <laughs> we were that dominant. And it, like Brooks would say, oh, you've got the car again, I see, you know, cause he was scoring athletes for fun. So that was a bit of a funny story. But that, that was Brooks, you know, he wanted to... He knew he, he was privileged and he'd like earned a lot of money, but he'd, he'd 
do anything for the lads and wanting to help people and he was always there as a support so I've got nothing but uh, kind words to say about Brooks Miles and that is for sure You mentioned obviously the fact that Gretna were so dominant during your spell with the club in those two seasons when you went into every game was were you and the guys as you say with the quality of the side you have um, just so confident that in every game you really had a great chance of winning each week? Yeah, I mean, when uh, I think it really kicked on when we got a, like, say, Division 2, the, the year when I, I had a tough year that year. I had four, I'd had four knee operations. So I ended up getting loaned out that season. I went to Scarborough on loan for six months. And then halfway through that, halfway through that, I got a phone call from the club, Brooks, and he said, we want to send you to Hamilton on loan. Um, so we can keep a closer eye on you up here and see how you how you're going, you know, after your four knee operations. But the the team they had then were like Eric Townsley, Alan Main, James Grady, David. I mean, that team could have competed no problem in the in the SPL. And then, like I say, at the end of that season, the cup final were against Hearts. It was unbelievable game. I wasn't involved in it myself, but I watched it. But like I say, I'd been loaned out that season. Due to trying to trying to get fit after my knee operations, so well, I mean, yeah. But the players, you know, the, the players were all good characters. There was never an arrogance that we're better than you without like that. They the brought really good professionals to the club. David Bingham, probably one of the best players I played with in my career. You know, fantastic technical player. There were. We knew we had a good side, but there was always a, a respect there, you know, for, for all the other teams. And we were quite privileged that the Gretna had the money, what they had, and could go and build this this team. As you say, it was a dominant spell. And I'm interested to obviously talk to you about your, your, your season where you had your four knee operations. Just how hard was that for you mentally and physically? Yeah, it was really difficult because... Um, I signed for Gretna, I played a couple of games and then I was just, I, I was playing in like a, a reserve game or a practice game and I've just twisted wrong and I haven't actually felt any pain as I twisted and I, but I was on the floor and then as I've tried to stand up, I've, I've felt real bad pain in my knee and couldn't straighten my knee and everything like that. So anyway, I went and... I went and got a scan and I'd torn my cartilage in my right knee and then I needed an operation on that. So I got that done. And then when I was coming back from that, um, the same thing happened in my left knee. And it, they said, you, you've been compensating and this, that and the other. And then so I needed an operation on, on the left one. And then after both of them operations, the, I tried to come back. I was jogging and training and I just said to the physio I said they're not right I said pain in both knees and then they scanned both my knees again and they both needed operated on again so it did come to a point where I was thinking will I ever be fit again you know because it was like I mean four in one season was a lot and then to be fair after I'd had them done again both of them it took me a couple of months and then um, I managed to get fit and Thankfully, I never had a problem with my knees again. So it, it was it was a tough experience because it all seemed to come at once. But then, like I say, after I'd had all the ops done, 
and I managed to get get right. And I had quite a good run, really, injury-wise after that. But yeah, psychologically really difficult. You know, you you're watching the game every week, and you're watching the lads train, and it, it's it's a challenging time. Yeah. You mentioned there the loan spell at Scarborough and Hamilton, and we'll come to Hamilton now. What was it like going from Gretna to Hamilton? What was the difference in terms of the clubs? Well, what happened? I went down to Scarborough, like like I said, I played half a season. I think I scored about seven, eight goals in the conference. And then I think Gretna were thinking, oh, obviously he's, he's past his injury problems now, so we'll bring him back up here where we can keep an eye on him. And it, it shows the strength of what Gretna had because at that point, they were playing in the second division and they loaned me out to Hamilton, who I think were third top in the first division. So it showed like the type of squad what they had in there, Gretna. And um, what happened was it, it was a it was a reserve game against Kilmarnock um, at New Douglas Park and I just got told to get up there and play in this game and then Billy Reid, the manager at the time, would speak to me. And... Uh, Anyway, I played the game, and straight after the game, Billy took me in the office and said, listen, we'd like to sign you on loan till the end of the season. Is it something you'd be interested in? And um, I said, yeah. And I, I think I played I played about 15 games for, for Billy that season, managed to get a few goals, and just really enjoyed it. Fantastic, uh, fantastic squad of players, great people. And... It was, it was just, the feel was different probably. Hamilton were probably counting every penny trying to build a team with limited resources at the time. A lot of young players coming in from uh, from the youth system, you know. You had the likes of James McCarthy there, James McCarthy all coming through. Meg Bettner was more or less guarantee and success with just buying the ready-made product, you know, the likes yeah. of uh, Stevie Tosh, Davey Bingham, Chris Innes, Alan Main, like people like that who I've mentioned, they played a couple of hundred games in the SPL and there's a very little risk then when you're, when you're recruiting them type of players where it was more, Hamilton was more building for the future, developing young players, if you can understand like the difference, you know. Yeah, no, of course. But both, but both really good experiences and uh, met fantastic people in both clubs. And it, it's not as like point the finger at Gretna and say negative things and positive. There was positives and negatives to to all clubs I played in, but I'm just grateful I had the opportunity and played the games I did. And when I look back, you know, I look back with fond memories. In terms of the time at Hamilton, I've already touched on a few of the individuals you mentioned there. First of all, Billy Reid, um, what was he like as a manager? Obviously, he's now coaching with Graham Potter at Brighton in the Premier League, so he's obviously got something about him. What was he like to work with on a day-to-day basis? Bill, uh, he, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, Man-manager, looked after his players, would do anything for his players to help them, you know, create such a good atmosphere, learning environment probably ahead of his time regarding science and uh, working loads of players, you know, training was, Billy was all about having his best team on the pitch on a Saturday, training, you'd train, but it was, um, 
yeah, how can you put it? It was really structured, you know, so so he had his strongest team out on a Saturday. And um, I, I'm really close friends with Billy, even today. I speak to Billy probably two, three times a week. Um, fantastic guy. Absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, like I say, played a really good brand of football, but the education he gave the likes of James McCarthy, MacArthur, um, Brian Easton came through at that time. Then you had the likes of Ali Crawford, who were a little bit younger than them. So when when you look at the the players that he, he educated and brought to that club, it was uh, magnificent what he achieved. And um, yeah, really, really good guy, good manager, and uh, enjoyed every minute of working for him. We mentioned there, obviously, James McCarthy and James MacArthur. Obviously, they were very young during your time at Hamilton, but was it really evident from the moment they started training with the first team that they were going to have the potential to go on and play at the elite level? Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, James McCarthy came in and trained with the first team when he was about 16. And um, all the lads were like, Jesus, who, who's this? You know, like, who is this guy? And it, it was it was strange because I always remember James when he was about 16, we would train and it was like he was playing football like a man and making decisions like what an experienced pro would do. But then after training, I'd speak to him and say, what are you doing tonight, James? And he'd like, he'd say, oh, I'm just going home to play on my PlayStation and relax and get some tea off my mum and dad and that. And then, <laughs> then, then it dawned on you that he was actually a kid just with this super ability. But, one of the nicest kids you, you would meet, really down to earth, never never got big-headed, worked hard every day. And I think when it happened, and James MacArthur the same, when it happened for them people, everyone in the club were absolutely delighted because they, they were good players, but great lads as well, worked hard. And I think um, Billy was good at keeping the feet on the ground and helping him make the right decision to move to the right club what suited him and also Alex Neal played a big part in, in that. The, the midfield three we had in the team was Alex, James and James and you know Alex was talking them through games and helping them, coaching them as he was playing so yeah re- really good lads and I, it's no surprise to see what they went on to achieve in their careers no surprise at all in terms of your second season at Hamilton, your first full season after the loan spell, the club finished fourth and you played 32 games in the league that season. Were you delighted to get the first team games regularly under your belt again, but obviously ultimately just a wee bit disappointed to miss out in promotion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were disappointed. Um, yeah, it was good to play, play a lot of games. But it was like, um, you know... It was you could see the process going on at Hamilton, you know, as these younger players were getting more games and then some signings were coming in and we were maybe a little bit short that season, but then obviously the club went on to achieve the promotion, but it, it, you, you could see it going from strength to strength, like each season. We, we probably weren't quite there that year, but eventually the club got up into the SPL, you know. Well, in terms of the season they got promoted, um you obviously got a league winners medal and you played regularly in the first half of the season. 
um, before then in the January of 2008, joining uh, Morton. Um, how did that move come about and were you enthused to join Morton at the time? Yeah, what happened was, before that season, we signed a, a lad called Richard Offion. Um, really quick, direct player and pff, scored a lot of goals that season. So Billy Billy played like that year, a 4-3-3. Um, and me and Richard were competing to start as the number nine. And um, Richard had a better pre-season than me. Then he got in the team and, I mean... I think finished top scorer in the league that season. But what Billy would do would be Richard would start and then after about 55, 60 minutes, he'd sub Richard when he'd made all his sprints and tired and then he'd put me on for the last 30 minutes of the game and like to hold the ball up and chase things down and help us try and win the game. So um, that's just how it was, you know, and I, I couldn't complain because, I mean, Richard was scoring every week, good friend of mine. And that, that that was Billy maximising his squad as he as he seen yeah. fit. So what happened was about halfway through the season, I think it was, Billy just called me into a to a, a meeting and he said, Listen, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I was like, Yeah, I'm fine and he said Um at this point he said, I'm not sure what league we're gonna go in. It could be we could be in the so we could be in the SPL he said, and I'm not sure what's gonna happen with you. He said, I'm not saying we can't, we won't offer you a contract. He said, but it depends what's going to happen type things. He said, but Martin have come in for you and want to speak to you. He said, if you want to speak to him, it's okay with me type thing. So, so I said, okay, fine. And then um, anyway, I got in touch with Jim McAnally and went to meet him and speak to him. And we agreed on a, on a two-year contract. So... I said to Billy, like, no hard feelings at all. Really enjoyed my time there. And um, like I say, I moved on to Morton after that. Um, what was Morton like as a club when you joined? And what was Jim McAnally like as a manager? Well, it was strange because um, I, I signed for Morton. And then I think within about two or three weeks, Jim McAnally got sacked. So... Then, uh, then it was a case of what's gonna, what's gonna happen now, you know. And um, I mean, it was, it was short my time with Jim McNally, but he was, he was fine, you know, good guy, and uh, yeah, like good, good sessions and good manager. And uh, but like I say, it was three, four weeks. I was just bedding in there, and then, then he left, and then. Like I said, Davy Irons came in, who was the assistant manager at Gretna when I played there. So it it was it was a bit of a shock really because when a when a manager signs you and want believes in you and wants you to play for him, you're always disappointed if they get fired so quickly, you know, because you know you might get a little bit more patience of bedding in time if the manager's brought you in himself. But to be fair, Davy come in and uh, Davy was great with me, so. Just we just plodded on that season. I would say my first period of time at Morton, I struggled. I think I did. I didn't play well. You know, I was struggling in training, struggled in my first five six games. You know, didn't have any form, and that that was a challenging period because you you want to go into a club and hit the ground running and get a few goals straight away and 
earn the respect of the players and the supporters. But I, I had a really tough time at the start and things weren't coming off. And then I think we played against the home game against Dunfermline where we managed to win and I scored. And then once I'd got my goal, things eased a lot then and I felt a bit more comfortable. But yeah, it was a challenging time at Morton the first uh, few months. In terms of Morton, what's it like to play at Capelo when the crowd's rocking and they're behind you? Fantastic, you know. The the, the Morton fans are they're honest with you, but they'll support you to to the maximum. And like if if they feel you're not giving it everything, if if they feel you're not working hard enough for that shirt then they'll let you know but it's like the flip side of it is when you when you're doing well and you you are working hard and scoring goals then the, they'll always be there for you. So I had the I had a good relationship with the Martin fans. I, I experienced both sides of it, like I say at the start, I know I was getting a bit of stick and um they, they weren't shy in letting you know how they felt, but then obviously when I had some of the better games and managed to get some important goals, then then I, I felt the praise as well. And you know, I think um, supporters who work hard all week and pay the money, I think they're entitled to let the feelings be known as long as it doesn't go overboard and it's part and parcel of the job of uh, dealing with that and coping with it. You know, in terms of that first six months at Morton, then. Um... You were quite influential in the last three games of the season and keeping the club up in Division 1. You scored a double at Fur Hill against Partick Thistle, which was particularly memorable. Um, did you feel in those last few games that you were in form and did you feel extra responsibility to, to fire the club to safety? Like I say, I just... Um, once I managed to find my form... Um, then I felt I was doing well. I was getting chances. I was getting the odd goal. And um, the game at Fir Hill, I mean, it was a it was a pressure one because we were on the brink. And um, to, I think Martin took two, three thousand fans down there that day. The, the behind the goal was full Martin supporters. And I remember the the first part of the game. Party had a couple of chances and things like that but then we, we managed to score and then we just went from strength to strength and I got a couple of chances that day and managed to stick them away and it gave me like a, a good status down there you know such an important game but um, no it was, a, it was a memorable one I look back on that fondly and uh, yeah it was it was nice because when I like I say when I first went more and I mean I'm my own biggest critic in the world and I wasn't happy with what I was producing myself. And then to be able to come through that, I think it makes you stronger. Then you manage to get a couple of goals. And then and I was really enjoying playing for Martin at that point towards the end. And uh, to get a couple of important goals was really nice. In terms of your first full season at Morton, after those important goals, particularly Brace at Firhill we mentioned, you came back flying in the second season and you were the club's top scorer in all competitions in 2008-2009. Did you just feel that season that you were flying and your confidence was at an all-time high? Yeah, and uh, we, we had some we had some really good players in there. You had the likes of Peter Weverson. I mean, on his day, he, he was unplayable, Spoonsy. And uh, you had the likes of Ryan McCuffey there, Alan Jenkins, Stuart Grisha, Jim McAllister. 
we had good players and we, we were a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. We, on our day, we could beat anybody. But then if we had an off day, we could be beaten by anybody. So mm. the, the problem we had was the inconsistency, but we had players who could create chances. And that season, um, even Russell as well, who I played up front with and Brian Graham, two other good players. We, we had dangerous players who could score goals and it just... Obviously, I was fully fit at the time, well over my injuries, had like games behind me and just went back, worked as hard as I could and um, managed to get a few goals. So, yeah, enjoyable season. You mentioned, obviously, a few of the names there at Morton and I'll ask you about a few of those now. Um, Peter Weatherson in particular, he's a cult hero at Morton and an icon, just like yourself, to be honest, Brian. And I'm interested to know just how good was Peter and do you think you could have played at an even higher level? I don't think there's any doubt that Peter could have played at a higher level. I mean, <laughs> how strong he was holding the ball in, but technically free kicks, strikes from 30 yards. Um, he had everything, you know. He, he, uh, unbelievable character as well, but great guy. I mean, great lad. And um, yeah, in my opinion, without a doubt, he could have. He could have went on to a high level. In my opinion, he, he was the most talented player at Morton with that group of players by quite a long way. But maybe it was, I don't know, you'd have to ask Spoonsy yourself, could he have maybe done more? Could he have maybe focused a bit more or whatever? But, you know, he's a unique guy. But, I mean, football and ability up there were the best. Another player I'm interested to ask about is the current club captain, Jim McAllister. Um, Obviously, he was a lot younger when he played with yourself at Morton. Um, was his talent just so evident to you in training every day? Because he was another one that was a fan's favourite. Yeah, Jim. Um, there's a funny story about Jim. I always, um, when we used to train, <laughs> I tell you this yourself if you speak to him, I always used to end up standing on his toes. <laughs> and uh, I used to have these boots on with massive studs in because he used to train up at Quarriers Village, you know, the pitch was like, you needed big studs, you know, you'd be slipping all over the place. And and then obviously I wore the same boots for games, but it just seemed crazy that whenever we trained, I played against Jim, or even if we'd just stand and talk and I'd stand back on his talk and he used to go absolutely crazy. <laughs> like when he gets angry, he really gets angry, you know. So it was like a, a long running joke for me and Jim that he wouldn't dare come and stand near me, but... I mean, he can run all day, Jim. He's, he's one of the fittest players I've, I've seen in, in my career. Uh, he, he can run all day. And then, like you say, he worked at his game. Um, direct, good 1v1. Got a goal of him. Really, really, uh, really good player. And uh, like I said, that season we had Jim doing well. He was on the wing, you know, putting crosses over and big part of me getting goals, Spoonsy getting goals and being here, Ian Russell, things like that. Jim was a big contributor in providing the chances. Another player I'm interested to ask you about is is not really, I would say, a Morton icon like yourself, Jim or Peter Weatherson, but he was a player who just looked as if he had so much potential when he was at Morton. That, was, that player is Dominic Shimon, obviously. He came in having played down south with Queen's Park Rangers and, and Bournemouth and initially at Morton he looked absolutely unplayable. Were you surprised that he didn't really go on to have as good a career as maybe his early potential showed? Yeah, 
yeah, we, I, was, I was surprised because when you think of modern day defenders, he, he had everything what you need. He, were, he was good on the ball, um, strong, quick. Like I said, being at Arsenal, I think he played games for QBR in the Championship. Yeah. And when he when he first come up to Martin, we were we were blown away by how good he was. And um, it just didn't happen for him, you know. He played games for us, and then I think he went up to Dundee after that, and he he just didn't make the heights what we all expected. But potential wise, at the time, we yeah, I mean he he had great attributes to go and play at a real high level but it just didn't quite happen for him and I, I remember we played in a game at Capelo where he made a tackle on Gary Arbuckle I think it was Gary Arbuckle and uh, he broke his leg um, that was a and I think it I wouldn't say it affected him dramatically but I know it affected him a bit that's how strong he was you know it was a good tackle it wasn't even a foul I don't think but he's won the ball and followed through and um, broke his leg so and then shortly after that I think he went up to Dundee but yeah we expected uh, Dom to go go a long way One last player I'd like to ask you about individually is someone who went on to become a, a, a modern cult hero in, in Michael Tidser he's another one like Jim McAllister who was quite young at the time um, when you played with him could you tell he was another one that had really good technical ability every day in training and on a match day? Yeah Tidser Really, midfield player, range of passing up and down the pitch, like get a, like can score goals from round the box. Um, it's interesting because the club I work at now, Ostersund in Sweden. Yeah, Michael played over here as well. So when I, the the people in the club often ask about him and the chairman Daniel Schindberg, um, he often asks me how kids are doing. Uh, I know he'd done really well in Sweden as well. You could see where kids are, you know, he'd been educated in Celtic, how to play and technical play. So, yeah, I can understand that he's a, a Martin icon because he's consistently very good. He, he, you don't see kids that have a, a bad game very often. In terms of that second season, we mentioned that you were the club's uh, leading scorer. Um, did Going into that third season, were you just hoping to continue obviously that form in and, and have a really good full year at Morton? What, the season after that one, you mean? Yeah, so this, obviously you were the club's leading scorer in 2008-9 and were you hoping to take that form into the 2009-10 season? Yeah, just wanted to continue on. I know Davey spoke to me towards the end of that season. I think Dundee were interested in signing me after that season. But I spoke to Davey and he, he said um, we, we'd like you to stay tight. So, yeah, I just wanted to continue on. In terms of that season, Davey. obviously it was a, 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 a difficult season in the sense that Davey obviously left the club and was replaced by James Grady. What was the reaction from yourself in the dressing room when Davey had left the club? We, we were all disappointed, uh, disappointed because... I think as a squad of players, we maybe let Davey down a little bit. I, th- I think we had we had a lot of potential in the group. We were capable of winning games. It didn't quite work and didn't quite come off. And ultimately, the the manager pays the price. But you know, it, it, it's a group thing. We're we're all involved in it, and it's, 
it's just the nature of the beast in football that the, the manager gets fired in the end. But I think we all felt a little bit responsible that we, we could have done more. And I think that was a collective thing as well. I think if you'd have, have asked all the lads, whether it be injuries, lack of form, whatever it was, um, lapses in concentration on games, red cards, it, I mean, it can be a catalogue of things, but we were capable of doing better than what, what we did. And I think we all felt that we all felt a little bit responsible, you know, for, for Davey because Davey was a good coach, good ideas, um, good genuine guy and worked his socks off. So, yeah, I think the, the squad maybe let him down a little bit there. When James Grady got the job, obviously, it was his first real managerial spell in the game. When he came in, was it just a... A difference of opinion in terms of how he wanted to play that resulted in you leaving the club in January for Gateshead. Yeah, similar thing. Uh, similar thing with Paul Simpson. Manager comes in, new ideas. Uh, you know, Chalky was uh, working alongside him, Alan McManus as well, who, who played as well. So they were both players, but then when he took the management role and. Uh, yeah, I think we just had the own ideas. I, I played with James Grady at Gretna, so knew him, knew, knew him well. And uh, he just wanted to freshen it up, I think. You know, I'd been at Morton maybe two and a half years, something like that. I think he wanted to put his own mark on the team, which often happens. And like I said, ended up me having a discussion with him and leaving the club and going down to Gateshead. But again, no hard feelings. When I look back on my I'm really grateful for the time I had in football and maybe that mentality let me down a little bit in terms of being happy to be there because the route I came in when I look back now could I have been a bit more selfish should I have been a bit more driven to try to get the next level type thing but I think I, I, I enjoyed it that much just living the life of a professional footballer so I mean James said to me listen think it's best you move on or whatever and there was never any hard feelings and I headed down the gate said it was 30, it's 30 minutes from where I come from so I was thinking it'd be nice to go back home and you know see more of my family which I'd missed for a long time so yeah I, I headed down to gate said Before we come on to Gateshead too um, more um, real questions on Morton um, the club obviously drew Celtic in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup that season and obviously you played in that game. What was it like getting into that game against Celtic? Because it, it was a 10,000 um, strong crowd at Capelo, which was some atmosphere. It was a, it was a really good game. Um, it was a tight game, actually. I mean, when I think back to the team Celtic had that night, it was, it was a really strong team. But we competed well. Um probably didn't have enough cut and edge ourselves. We didn't create too much and the chances we got, we maybe should have done a bit better with. Then Celtic got the chance at the back post. I think it was now McGinn who scored. Yeah. And uh, 1-0 cage game. Like I think we come off again that night feeling a, a bit of a sense of disappointment that we, we could have done more. I mean, we all give it everything, but them little moments you get in games define results and define outcomes and the key moments we, we maybe just lacked that little bit of quality on the night where Celtic got the chance and it was put away 
in terms of that atmosphere Sorry. Martin fans coming out supporting local it was a it was a nice experience to to be involved in that game in terms of that game, you said say Celtic put out a strong team and some of the players they had in the pitch that night, Aidan McGeady, Samaras, and you yourself were up against Glenn Leuvens and Darren O'Day. Could you could you see that um, Premier League class when Celtic were playing or was it just like a typical cup game where you felt that both teams were evenly matched on the day? No, you're obviously in the, in the game, you know, it's the quicker, the stronger, the, the, the make decisions quicker. Um, competing with them like in aerial battles and trying to hold them off to hold the ball up, you you realise it's a level above in terms of strength and speed and things like that. But I think that's where in cup games, the first 15, 20 minutes, if you can get a foothold in the game and then you start growing into the game, you know, and I think that, that's, what, that's what happened really. I, I think the game started and Celtic dominate the possession, but we were in the game and then I think we started to believe and we could maybe do something here. And then it was, I remember it being a really tight game. We had few chances, small moments. And I think Celtic had a couple of couple more chances than us. But it wasn't like they were playing through us and creating chances every two or three minutes. And I think we give a good account of ourselves. But we felt we could have done a little bit more. But when you're playing against the likes of them defenders, you you know, you you know the bigger, quick, quicker and stronger. You you feel that straight away. Someone else I'd like you like to ask you about is the late Morton chairman Douglas Ray. Obviously, highly regarded by arguably most Morton fans, if not all, and such a legendary figure within the club's history. Have you got any good stories on Douglas and what he was like with you? To be honest, I mean. He, he was he was a lovely man, great guy. Um, I didn't have too much involvement with him really. I, I'd I'd say hello, speak to him, small brief conversations, but I didn't I didn't really get to know him that well. If I'm honest, it was always just like he's the boss and I'm a player, and mm-hmm. that respect was there. I always knew that if I, I needed any help, he, he he'd be there. But I didn't I didn't speak to Douglas at length at any real point, uh, point but I know a lot of the other players who've been there longer um, like the Spoonsy and Grish and um, Chris Miller, Jim yeah. I think they had a, a tighter relationship with, with him you know but yeah it was just I, I just didn't come across him that much, I, he was always at the games and stuff and it was just a hello the respect factor but no, no real stories on uh, on Douglas to be honest um, in terms of your one, time at Morton, one thing I will, one thing I will say is it was it was well known in the club the work he'd done and what he'd actually done to help Morton. You know, everyone was made aware of that, and the respect he had in the place was, was massive. And like I say, I, I think it, it's rightly so that he's seen as this figure in in Morton for for what he actually done for the club. In terms of your time at Morton, you're you're someone who's a fan's favourite, a cult hero. You're you're spoken about by many fans down here in Inverclyde regularly, um, at Morton games even now. So, um, did you feel that warmth from the fans after your first six months and and during your time there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I say, 
once once I managed to get a couple of goals and my confidence grew, then um, yeah, I did. I felt uh, one for my fans, and I think the way I was as a player, you know, I think if I was having a bad day, I was really bad. <laughs> but <laughs> if I was having a decent game, I'd get a goal, and I'd work. I'd always work hard for the team. But if I was having a rough day, um, I could be poor. I'm, I'm the first to admit that. But like I say, I think I think the biggest thing with the Morton fans is if you're willing to wear your heart on your sleeve and give it everything, then you'll have the respect of often. I think they expect expect that as a bare minimum. And uh, yeah, to, after the first few months when I managed to find my feet, I, I always uh, I always felt the warmth of them. And looking back, grateful for the memories and really enjoyed my time in. Uh, I lived in Bishop Briggs, but really enjoyed my time up at uh, in Greenock training and games and things like that. And still keep touch with some of the some of the supporters now. Uh, I became friends with a couple up there. There's Margaret Bryce who uh, really still speak now. Every now and then a message on Facebook, how are you doing? And so special to, to be in different places and build them relationships and even though you move away and go on to new things that you, you, you still um, still keep in touch In terms of your time at Morton you mentioned there it was a very fond time for you what are your fondest memories of your time at Capelo? Um, I've got a couple I think the night we beat Hibs away in the cup 4-3 oh, okay. um, <laughs> Ryan Arden getting the winning goal who I think he got Got the, I think it was Ryan Arden got the was it the winning goal he got? Yeah, he got the goal um, and stoppage time, didn't he? Yeah, that was a. I mean, that was a great night. And Hibs had played a strong team that night, and that was typical us. We, I mean, we we, we went to Hibs that night and we won four three. And Hibs had uh, some really good players on the pitch. The man, Stephen Fletcher, good side. And then I think the game after we lost that every five nil, and. <laughs> That's where, and no disrespect to Airdrie, but that's where, you, like, that was typical of us, you know. On our day, we could beat anybody. And then if we had that off day, we, we were really poor. So I think that week sums up Morton as it was when I was there. Um, so that would definitely be one to Stevie Master and scoring the free kick from about 30 yards. Um, and then obviously the game at, the game at um, against party, you know, the important game. But not just that game, the build-up to that as well. We managed to get another, a couple of goals on the build-up to that and then we were fighting. But the, the feeling after that game to uh, secure our status in the championship was a great feeling and we, we had a great night out after that as well. <laughs> I'd imagine the night out went on for <laughs> many hours. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was... I think we actually went up the we went down the the supporters pubs in Greenock, you know, and the, the fans were delighted and things like that. We headed back up there and I think they gave a prize out. I think I think it was Stuart Grecian maybe got the prize. I could be wrong, yeah, but I think so. And, um yeah, it was just a, it was relief, but it was a great feeling, you know, the winning that way three 0 away from home. Um Really good night out after that, yeah. Sore head the day after, I think. <laughs> Definitely, maybe a few days after. Um, 
what I was going to come to obviously was your time at Gateshead and the last thing on Morton is just it was a very fun time for you the fans you've mentioned Margaret Brace there you still speak to her now there was a real fondness for you at Capelo from the fans and everyone around the club how hard was it to leave to go to Gateshead or was the location really just a factor that although you loved your time at Morton you just couldn't turn it down no it was well I, I didn't want to leave Morton if I'm honest but I didn't want to stay there if I wasn't going to be playing or wasn't going to be featuring. And like I said, James had his own ideas. I think he made it quite clear that he'd prefer that I moved on or he had other players he wanted to bring in. So then the Gated situation came up and it was the bonus of where Gated is geographically that it's not far from where I come from. So I just I headed down there. I, managed, I signed a contract with them. Quite a difficult experience, actually, because Gateshead at the time were part-time. Um, we only trained two nights a week, playing in the conference in a relegation battle. So it was, it was difficult uh, to go from full-time to the part-time environment again. And um, but the idea was that at the end of that season, the club was going to go full-time. And that's what happened. So I finished the... I was down in Gator for about six months and then the club went full-time after that. But I didn't enjoy the initial period where training just two nights a week. It, it was difficult after being training every day for eight, nine years. In terms of Gateshead, as you said, it was a tough time for the club in the sense that they were battling relegation in the in the National League and you mentioned the part-time element in your first six months. What was the standard of football like compared to the standard in the Scottish Championship? Um, I wouldn't say it's a million miles apart. I think it's a bit more physical down in the conference. I think uh, maybe bigger guys, more physical, a lot more direct play. Um, I think it's a bit more technical players up in Scotland in the in the championship than you think some of the players I've played with. Um, but a bit more lot more direct it's it's a it's actually it's a difficult league to play in because the amount of games changes from Scotland you're playing Saturday Tuesday be Saturday Tuesday yeah. the demand on it and because we were part time you're not you're not training very regular because you're playing that many games. Um but I just say I, I wouldn't I think the standard football is similar but it's just slightly different dynamics. A lot more physical in the conference and more technical in the championship, I'd say. In terms of after your, your spell at Gateshead, you get the opportunity to, to move to Sweden with Ostersons, who you're now obviously back coaching with them. How did the opportunity to move to a country like Sweden to play football come about? To be honest, how it came about was when I was at Hamilton with Billy, we had an assistant, Graham Jones, who's now the manager of Luton. And... Um, his good friends were Graham Potter, who was the manager at Ostersund. And I just got a phone call out of the blue, really, uh, of Graham Potter just saying, we, we need a centre-forward. Would it interest to come over to Sweden and play? So we, we discussed the contract, quickly agreed on it. And then um, I just thought to myself, I can't remember my exact age at this point, but I think it was about 28, 29, and I just thought, I've 
I think I'd went as high as I could in terms of played in the League Two, Conference, Scottish Championship, and I thought just go and have a new experience, you know, go and play football in a different culture, different environment, have a life experience as well by, like you say, living in a foreign country. And yeah, came over and um, I've been here about 10 years now, so I didn't expect to be here as long as that. I signed a two-year contract, but then I've just fell into things as I've been here. So yeah, it's been a been an amazing adventure and a real uh, a different experience of life, obviously. Did it take you long to adapt when you moved to Sweden? Obviously, having lived in the UK for for your whole life up until that point. Um, well, when I when I first came to Oscar Sunday, we had about six, seven English players here. So, and at that point, we were we were training on the evenings. We 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 had some Swedish players who were working like through the day, but then we had like seven, eight players who were full time. So it was a, it was interesting how it worked, and then obviously we won the league that year, went into the next league, and then the clubs just grew and grew and grew and went from strength to strength. So, but it, I think when I first came, having five, six English players, they even quickly become friends with, and you're all in the same boat type of thing. That that helped, but then as time goes on, I, I've got to know a lot more people, you know, Swedish. People and we've had players from all over the world in Ostersund. We've had lads from Ghana. We had a Korean player, Spanish. So it's been a real interesting learning curve in terms of culture and lifestyle and getting to know getting to know new people and experiencing new things. You mentioned obviously the manager Graham Potter who brought you there. He obviously has done a great job. Obviously with Ostersund, got them in the, in the Europa League. Um, moved over to Swansea, did a great job there and subs- subsequently got the Brighton job and signed a really long-term deal. I think it was a six-year deal recently because they've been impressed with his work. Was it evident when you worked with him just how good a coach he was and that he had a big future in the game? Yeah, it, 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 was, uh, it was really clear. Um, he, the development he's made as he's as he's went through divisions, it has been amazing. But you could see he has a clear philosophy on the game. Um, educates players, can can teach them exactly what, how he wants them to play, what he wants them to do. And the, the success he brought Wasterson was unbelievable. And then it selling players on as well, like in the process. So find, finding there's a lad Kyle McCauley who works as his scout who. He was at Aberdeen as a young player, and I know he went to Alloway and played a few games. But he he was the Graham Potter's scout, and we worked in Ostersund, and he travelled the country and go and find all these young hidden talents type thing, and managed to sell some on for millions into Europe. And so the 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 whole process of playing the the brand of football they want and bringing players in, what have been disregarded a lot of them by big clubs and developing them and selling them. So, yeah, I mean, Graham, it's amazing the job he done here. And um, again, creates an atmosphere, creates an environment, what people want to be in, people learning. And that's been a, a big factor in the success. 
In terms of Graham, again, just another question on him. His assistant manager was obviously Billy Reid, who you worked with at Hamilton. On a kind of weekly basis, is it Graham Potter more tactical and hands-on with the football inside and Billy Reid more the man management? How does that partnership work? Yeah, they have a great uh, a great partnership. When when I worked in there with them, I was um, I was doing the under twenty one team. Billy was assistant manager and Graham the manager. Um, they're both heavily involved in uh, all aspects. I think, but Graham will make the decisions. That like I think he'll pick the team, but he he, he listens to Billy. You know, Billy got. Masses of experience, and Billy will put his opinions across, and then Graham has to make the decisions as the manager. But Graham would deliver most of the sessions, and Billy's always there assisting, you know, helping out, speaking to players. But I think the the link between the players to the manager, I don't think you can find anyone better than Billy in that way who can put his arm around a player, speak to them, educate them. Um, Billy was responsible for all the set pieces, things like that. And um, Graham would focus on maybe the, the tactics of the team that he wants to play. But they complement each other really well, and it's no surprise to see how they've how they've gone on through the levels and to see where they are now. And like I say, the players what they've sold in the process, they've sold players to the Premier League, some are in the top league in France. Got a player Ken Seymour plays for Udinese now, so. To be able to get results and develop players in the process and sell them for big money, it's the perfect combination, really. But both play a massively important role, and Kyle the scout, and then there's a there's an analyst called Bjorn Amberg, a Swedish guy who's part of their team as well. So they all have the designated role, but they're really talented and good people as well. In terms of your time in Sweden as a player... Um, you had three years playing in Sweden. Um, your first season with Ostersund was incredible. In that season, you actually scored more goals in the games you played. I think it's 20 games played um, and 24 goals scored in the in the league. I mean, describe that season for me. Yeah, it was... To be honest, we had a, we had a really strong team. The level what we were playing in wasn't... I mean, it's, it's not... Yeah. You couldn't compare it to a professional level back home. The club was just starting on its journey. Um, and we had a really strong team. We won the league that year by about seven, eight points, I think. And then I played up front. We created chances. I managed to score quite a few goals. Um, and it was it was really good. You know, we had some young players coming through then, but we had... Some experienced players, Steve Burton, like an English lad who played in the conference and things like that, um, playing at the back. A lad, Robbie Clark, midfield player who'd been at Doncaster. So we had, we had, we had a really strong team for that year. And like I say, we won some games comfortably, other ones not so much. But it was nice to to get as many goals as I did. Your time at Sweden, obviously, you played for Östersund and you moved to a club Umea as well. Um, before um, retiring from playing was it always an ambition of yours to get into coaching? It, it wasn't something I'd really thought a lot about but what happened as I was leaving Ostersund Umeå were in the league above what Ostersund were in and it offered me a, 
contract that they want to speak to me. Um, so I went over and they wanted to offer me a year and a half contract, like an 18-month contract, but I just signed for six months because um, the club was in a massive relegation battle, struggling financially, so I thought I'll give it six months, see how it goes, but as I was leaving, Graham Potter said to me, listen, um, whenever you finish, whatever happens up there, um, I'd like to come back and be an assistant here whenever whenever you feel like it. So I went up to me or played for six months. Massive internal problems in the club. Um, struggling, losing game after game. Eventually we got relegated and then at the end of that season, I was looking at the options and Graham rang me again and said, listen, would you would you come back and work here as a coach? And it was in the back of my mind because I thought you, you won't get a better education working alongside somebody. So I sacrificed a few years of my career. I could have played on. I was fit enough for maybe another season or two. But I took the decision to think, I mean, this is a unique opportunity to work with someone as good as what Graham is and it'll be a real learning curve and it'll develop me as a person as well to see like more behind the scenes what he's doing and then um, like I say I went back and worked as an assistant with him and really grateful for the opportunity um, but it was tough at times where it, sometimes you think to yourself I could have still played another year or two will I regret it in the future but looking back now that was about 10 years ago I'm still coaching now I'm heavily involved in the recruitment process in Osterson now as well so I travel a lot and go and watch a lot of games and look for new players coming in that's a new role I've been, I've got this season now the manager's asked me to, to go into that side of things so um, but now like I say to, to be given the opportunity to work with Graham and Billy as well watching games with Billy like you were learning all the time, so really fortunate to get given the opportunity, really, and uh, one that I enjoyed. In terms of working in coaching, you've obviously worked with Graham Porter and Billy Reed, as you've said, and the current manager, Ian Butchnell, as well. Um, how hands-on have you been in terms of the coaching? Are you leading sessions um, or assisting in other ways? You've mentioned, obviously, the recruitment there, but what's your day-to-day role with the club in terms of training, for instance? Well... Last season, um, when I first came back to the club, what happened? Graham moved on to Swansea with Billy and that um, Bjorn and Kyle, so they left the club. And then I was managing a team in the north of Sweden called Lulio, and um, Ian got the job in Ostersund. And then they asked me to come in and be his assistant, like first team coach. So me and Ian had never actually met each other, but. I knew a lot of the people in Osterson from when I played there and coached there, so I came in and uh, we actually went to Denmark on a training camp and me and Ian had a chat and got talking type thing and planning sessions. Um, training sessions day to day, I haven't I haven't led a lot, if I'm honest. Uh, Ian, Ian um, takes the majority of the sessions Sometimes I take parts of sessions. You might say, take the strikers away, do some movement patterns or work on some finishing. So I took a, I took a role in working with the attacking players a lot. Then it would be um, 
analysing the strikers, bringing them into meetings, showing them clips, working on this, working on that. So there was a lot of that. But in terms of the, the whole session, Ian predominantly would lead that. And Graham was similar. When Graham was manager, he would he would lead the, the main of the session as well. And Ian likes to have an extra set of eyes to have a look, see if you notice things the same with, with, with Billy when he was working under Graham. Ian and Graham have a real similar uh, approach. You know, they want to create a, a good environment, educate players in the process. So it, it's not a million miles of difference, similar beliefs on football. And um, it's been fantastic to work alongside Ian. But what happened last season was our head of recruitment left to go to Huddersfield as like a director of football over there. So Ian spoke to me and said, would you, you've been in Sweden a long time. You've seen a lot of games in different levels of Sweden. You know, a lot of players. Would you, would you, would you like to focus more on traveling around, watching games and trying to find us uh, the next players to come into the club? So I started, we came back January the 6th. So I've been, I've been working with that now, watching games every day on the, on the computer and then we're planning some trips to travel around Sweden and other places to go and scout some players and try and bring some good players into the club. In terms of going forward then, are you now going to be focusing more on the recruitment or is your ambition to focus um, more on the recruitment side or have you still got that burning itch to be a coach or a, a manager and you're doing right again? To be, to be honest, I don't really think too far ahead. I just, I just focus in the moment, and the, the managers ask me to do this, and I've got a lot of respect for him. I'll, I'll do the best job I can, and it's, um, it, I just see see everything as a learning curve. You know, I've I've managed a couple of teams and managed to do quite well with them, and then I've worked as an assistant with Graham and. Ian, two fantastic managers, but now it's gone off into this direction, so I'll just give it everything I can to do the best job regarding this now. And um, I don't really, I don't really lose any sleep if I'm not coaching or if I'm not managing a team. I just, um, I just take each day as it comes, really, and just try and do the best I can. But grateful for the trustee and showed in me as well to go and go around and try and find some good players you know it's a big responsibility and it's a it's another strength of the ball type thing it's a it's another area what I'll learn in and hopefully develop and I know I can go back to coaching and whatever else in the future but at the minute I'm just enjoying this and hoping to do the best job I can. A question I'm really interested to ask you Brian is the Morton job has come up many times in recent years and every time the jobs came up, there's been a quite a big proportion of fans who've called for, for you to return in the, to the club in some capacity, whether as a coach or a manager. Have you ever been approached for that role or would it ever interest you one day? I've never been approached for it, but never say never really in football. I mean... Uh, Martin has a special place in my heart because my my godfather was born in uh, Greenock, and he passed away a few years ago, and it was a uh, it was crazy how proud he was that I actually played for Greenock Martin. He, he could like it's strange how 
he, he was, like I say, Scottish guy, born in Greenock, moved down to the Teesside area, became best friends with my dad. And then when I was born, he, he was my godfather, a really close relationship with him. So it was interesting to go back and speak to him about Greenock and the places up there and everything else. So it, it, it has a special place in my heart, really, along with having two and a half fantastic years up there. So... Yeah, I mean, in the future, if it if it was available and if it was the right thing, then, yeah, it would interest me. But at the minute, I'm just learning, developing, trying to, trying to be as good as I can be. And if I, if I did come there at one time, I, I'd want to I'd wanna try and make a success of it. So at the minute, I'm just, like I say, trying to, trying to learn as much as I can. I'm still young. I'm not in a desperate rush to go and manage this or manage that or do this or do that. I'm just enjoying the moment and um, we'll see what happens in the future. I'd like to finish with a few quick fire questions. First one being, who's the best players you've played with? How many players do you want? <laughs> it's up to you. I'm not as you go. <laughs> um, I'd say... James McCarthy, um, James McArthur, Alex Neal, very good, David Bingham, Peter Weatherson, there's a there's a couple. Best players you've played against? Um, I, I played a I played a cup game for Carlisle against Walsall and Paul Merson was about thirty six at the time, um, maybe even older. And it was a like a Carlin Cup game, and he was just unbelievable. I mean, his touch and his vision was uh, was unbelievable at that age. So God knows what what he must have <laughs> been like um, when he was younger. I'm trying to think of the players. Yeah, I'll say Paul Merson, the best player I played against. Very good answer. Um, most inspirational captain, or obviously there might be more than one captain in that regard. I'd have to say Alex Neil, to be honest, um, at Hamilton. Uh, I mean, like a Roy Kane, uh, Roy Kane-like character, demanded high standards every day, led by example. Um, demanded. It didn't matter if you were an experienced player, a young player. He just he just wanted things done to such a high standard, and um, the role he played in developing the younger players. Uh, um, yeah, I'd have to say Alex Neil for for being a captain. Best manager in your career? Um, what I played for? Yeah, it'd have to be it'd have to be Billy Reid and Graham Potter. Both completely different approaches, um, but both fantastic to play for. In, Billy Reid, in terms of man management and um, helping you, supporting you, and then probably from a tactical perspective, I'd say Graham Potter and the the, the football he, he plays. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Why Messi? Um, 
I just think he's a I think he's a better player. I think he can do things what Ronaldo can do and then I also prefer Messi's temperament on the pitch in terms of getting tackled, smashed all over the place and not complaining and he gets back up and I think Ronaldo a little bit of a sulker when it's not going his way, looks like he's criticising other players where Messi just goes about his business quietly and just produces all the time type thing. So yeah, Messi Messi's my favourite out of them too. Last question for you, Brian, is obviously we've talked about Morton in this episode and Morton obviously a big place in your heart and, and some of your family's hearts, as you mentioned there. Could you pick your best five-a-side team based on the players you played with at Morton? Best five-a-side? Of Morton um, players, yeah. Yeah, I'd go two centre-backs, would be Stuart Grecian and Alex Walker. Then you'd say, um, me up front, obviously. Of course. And then Ryan McGuffey and Chris Miller. And then in goal, uh, Dave McGann. Sounds good. Um, thank you very much for being on the Football CFB podcast, Brian. It's been a pleasure and this is a podcast I'm sure all Morton fans will enjoy no no problem it's been a pleasure and I'd just like to, to wish Morton all the best for the season all my former clubs Hamilton and everything like that but like I say I wish Greenock all the best going forward and it'll always have a special place in my heart so best of luck for the rest of the season and the future <laughs> Thank you for listening to the opening episode of the Morton Weekly Podcast in association with Football CFB. In the next episode, I will be sitting down with the Morton manager, David Hopkin, and chief executive, David McKinnon, and putting fans' questions to them on things like the transfer window, where the club goes next, and the ambitions for the next few years. I hope you listen to that podcast, and I hope you can support it so that we can ensure it becomes a regular feature for you as fans and for the club in general. Until next time, all the best and take care.